the times and seasons of our lives, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Can you do, are you beginning to think more concretely about what it is to understand the times of your life and to understand that there are seasons and that there are seasons of preparation? Do you recognize maybe a season that you're in right now? Are you in a fruitful season? Are you in a season that like, man, this is the best I've ever had it. And uh, I feel like I'm more like Jesus than I've ever been. And, and I feel like I'm really uh, walking out his call in my life. I'm stewarding my life well. And, or do you feel like maybe, you know, things have not been going so well. I feel, in fact, I feel like I've just been getting worn out lately. I feel like it's a long, dark valley and I can't get out of it. And, and you just had very little hope, but you've got to recognize that all those seasons accompany every saint, everybody that will ever call themselves a Jesus person. Those seasons follow everybody, period. There is no distinction. Nobody has a linear upgrade in terms of the events of their life, though they may see that their spiritual life gets better and better. In fact, tends to flourish in the valley as much or more than it even does on the mountaintop. That's what we talked about. A few weeks ago, we talked about the tribe of Issachar. It was a tribe distinguished itself from the other tribes because it understood the times and knew what Israel should do. So what I'm asking you and what I ask myself as well, do I understand the times both in my personal life and the life of my family and now certainly you as a broader family? I mean, we really care about you. The leadership team and a lot of the people here, I mean, we deeply, passionately care about you as individuals. Uh, we hate, we're going to, one of the hard things about being pastor in a church or being involved in leadership is that you really do mourn with the rest of the congregation. It's not, quite frankly, it's not even the leadership. As you get to know people, maybe to your left or to your right, that you don't even know this morning, as you get to know them over the years, you're going to mourn with them, you're going to celebrate with them, and actually that's what Paul says, you know, you, you celebrate with people, mourn with people, be together, be a family. It's important to understand the times for our church, our lives, and then even more broadly if you're put in a position where you have influence. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go to the fact that uh, David, we started looking at David last week, we looked at a juxtaposition between King Saul and who would be King David, we saw in King Saul pretty much everything we don't want to be. We saw the Jerry Seinfeld, George Costanza of sorts that was always concerned about what other people thought and about what other people were thinking and was so inward focused that he was incapable of leading, incapable of leading. His, his time is not over yet in terms of the progression as we talk through this. But we're going to begin to see an immediate supplanting of King Saul because King David, as we saw last week, was anointed. And that's where I want to start this morning. Can I just tell you, nothing changes. If nothing changes, nothing changes. I'm going to say that again. That's going to be kind of our little motto. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Sometimes God's got to give you different scenery, God's got to get, give you some trials, God's got to discipline you, or God's got to bless you in some ways, or promote you or something, and in a func- as, a, as a result of doing that, your times and seasons will change. But God is interested in you changing, and he's interested in me changing, and I want to change. I don't want to be the same guy I was 10 years ago. I really don't want to be the same guy I was 20 years ago. I don't want to make the same mistakes over and over and over. 
and run through that forest, just getting hit by every branch and just keep running through the forest. And as I was talking to a group of men on Thursday, when there, uh, Isaiah talked about this highway of holiness, there's a highway I can get up on that leads to God's presence or figuratively Mount Zion here. I can get up on this highway and I don't have to run around in the, and just get wiped out all the time. It just wears you out. I want to get on that highway. But God's, God's faithful. And even when we depart from it a little bit, He'll get us back up on that highway, and he's faithful, and he will discipline us, and we have to understand, am I in a season of discipline? Am I in a season of testing? Am I in a season of preparation? I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to pick up this story where David, King David, was anointed. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to start here in verse 12. We're going to go through this, and, and uh, I'm concerned this morning, I'll be honest with you, I'm concerned about this message. Because in a minute, we're going to get into a story that everybody knows. Even if you've never been to church, you will have heard of David and Goliath. And it's kind of a hackneyed cliche now in our culture. And I'm concerned because sometimes when you say, well, I've heard that story a million times. I know that story. I don't need to hear that story. I want to hear something new. We miss. And I miss, too. I mean, I've taught through that story and thought about that story and read that story thousands of times. And I realize every time I read it, I can get something fresh and new and something that's going to help me on my journey. I hope that happens this morning. I'm concerned that you may turn off when you first hear David and Goliath. I've heard that. Maybe you've heard it preached a hundred times, but hang in, listen. Verse 12, we'll start with David's anointing. So he sent and brought him in. Now David, that's David, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Now remember that for later purposes this morning. He was anointed in the midst of his brothers. The very brothers, the seven brothers that were lined up that his father brought because Samuel said, there's one of you I want to find. God's got an anointing on this guy and I want to find him. And his dad didn't even think highly enough of David even to bring him in. He was just out with the sheep. He was the youngest. I mean, he was so overlooked, so overlooked. And now he's being brought in. Do you ever feel overlooked in your life? Like you never get the promotion. Nobody ever notices you. You show up early, stay late. Nobody notices you. You just feel kind of like you walk around. Trust me. When I started reading this, when I very first started reading this, I was a completely overlooked person, certainly in the, in the church. I mean, I, nobody had any idea. And I just felt, but when I would read that, it would embolden me to say, I don't have to. God sees me. God sees me and God sees you. Do you have a heart to serve him? You may feel like a nobody, but I can tell you right now, God sees a somebody because this was, as we saw last week, God doesn't look as man looks at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And again, as I said last week, that can either be terrifying or it can be liberating. But if you get your heart right, that's between you and God and then God will see you. But remember this, he was anointed in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Now, is this exactly like we saw in Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost? No, but the power of the Spirit was on him. I don't know that it permanently permanently resided in him like it did during the new birth experience, what is available to us now because of what Jesus did, but the Spirit was upon him, not necessarily in him. Theologians debate exactly what that means, but the power of the Spirit was on David, on David. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. 
Now, the Spirit of the Lord, catch this, the very next, right after this. Now, you've got to realize this is about six miles away. This is not happening together because uh, David's being anointed where he's from. He's being anointed in Bethlehem. He's not being anointed in Jerusalem. Saul doesn't know anything about what's this anointing going on. In fact, what's happening in here is that his kingdom has already been called, as we saw last week. God's already called his cards on, on Saul, and now he's already setting up the process with David. Let me tell you something. Right now, uh, are you being deposed or are you being prepared to step into an area or a place that somebody else is being pulled out of? Now, that doesn't always mean that the person ahead of you was unfaithful like Saul. But remember, God's always preparing you. Just wait. Be, be available and prepare yourself for what God has for you in the future. I don't care how old you are. You say, well, my seasons are finished. Your seasons are not finished. If you're breathing here on your own live stream... Your seasons are not finished. God may be preparing you maybe for the most fruitful season of your entire life. It says that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, trust me, theologically, this is a tough one. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Now, we can get into all kind of theological ramblings here. Uh, some think, well, it was just depression. Some think it was just a kind of a melancholy that began to kind of entroud uh, King Saul. I don't think so. I think the text says what it says. I think the Lord sent an evil spirit to terrorize. Now, you can say, well, what kind of God is that? I don't want to serve that kind of God that would send an evil spirit to terrorize. Let me tell you something. God has his plans, and he will execute his plans. And he knew, even before the foundations of the earth, that he would anoint David, and that David, there would be this Davidic covenant in which Jesus would come one day as the son of David. Are you with me? So God knows, and Saul, he... What do we know about Saul? We know that Saul was failing over and over and over again. And now God was going to accomplish his purposes and he was going to start the process of his declination actually going down in this great decline and then David was going to move in, not, through, not without a lot of trials. Now before you say, well, wait a minute, can the Spirit be taken away from me? I want you to go to Proverbs, uh, Psalm chapter 51. This is kind of a scary verse here. Okay, now this is, and this is important to say, this is prior to the establishment of the new covenant there's an old covenant which is you live under these rules and regulations and i'll bless you and then there's the new covenant that we have the opportunity to live in today which is by faith and, and it's all god's grace it's it's a radically different thing that's happening but listen to what psalm 51 david said verse 11 do not cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And I'm telling you, I've heard it preached. I've seen it on TV and this and that. Look, if you're not careful, God will remove his Holy Spirit from you. I'll just tell you straight up that I don't believe that God removes his Holy Spirit from you. I believe you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul told the church at Thessalonica that and was very clear about that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But he also talks a lot about You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God comes down. When you react in faith, God takes his spirit, and it's like a stamp on your forehead, if you will, and says, this woman is mine forever. This woman is mine. And until you get that in your spirit, if you think one day you're in and the next day you're out because you had a bad day or because you reacted poorly or because you were a jerk on the road like I was the other day almost, you know, Almost, I kind of was a half jerk, you know, and I didn't, I didn't respond, and I might as well go ahead and tell you the story. Pete Dine told me I should tell this story. 
told it to the men on Thursday, look, this is always a confessional for me. You do realize that you are my confessional, don't you? So I'm driving. I hope this gentleman's not here today. If he is, I would like for him to come up. I would like to have a conversation with him. But anyway, I'm turning, I'm going, I'm going north on Washington. I'm going to take a left on Highway 111. There's three lanes. There used to be one. It back all the way up to, you know, Eisenhower almost. But now there are three lanes, but you got to kind of squeeze. You go one, and then it kind of opens into three. So I was kind of going along, and I, was, I usually try to take the inside track there. And so I just started, but a guy was already trying to go around me to get to the inside track, and he laid on the horn. Now, where am I going when I'm, uh, wh- where do you think I'm on my way? Yeah, I'm going to talk to the women, a bunch of women about Jesus at Ironwood Country Club. So I'm, I'm coming as the bearer of good news, right? This is going to be wonderful. I'm going to come in and talk to a bunch of women about Jesus. And here I am, the man sp- supposedly having the Holy Spirit. And what did I do? He laid on the horn and I said, it's enough. And I, I went into park. And I turned around, I, I did not do any of the sign language, okay? And then I looked in my mirror. He was a frail little guy, you know? And he, looked in, he saw me look in the mirror, and he did a lot of sign language, real sign language. And I came this close from getting out of the car, because I knew I could take him. Uh, I knew I could take him, I really did. This is your pastor speaking. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I stayed in my car. I looked down. I did not do any sign language in return, and I went slow. I didn't speed away or try to cut him off or anything. In my old days, I would have. Twice in my life, I've jumped out of the car, once to my great detriment. Broke a tooth, got a tooth broken, had my legs pretty beat up. Uh, the guy was a lot bigger than he looked in his car, uh, a lot bigger. But I will tell you, uh, if nothing changes, nothing changes. But do I believe that God would take his spirit away from me? Because I, if I, even if I would have jumped out of the car, and I may have lost, I may be in jail right now, I'm, I might have lost, uh, you know, this church might have been put in a tailspin. My, my wife would have said, all right, that's enough. Who knows? I have no idea what the ramifications would have been, but would, have God, would God have taken his spirit away from me? No. I believe, and I believe this with all sincerity, and I believe it backs up completely by Scripture, that he will not remove his spirit from me now. I am sealed by, by his grace and my response and faith. It wasn't the case here. We see that the Holy Spirit was taken away from Saul. It was removed, and, a, and an evil spirit was sent. That's the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. That's the, de- that's the difference between be- pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. That's between before the cross and after the cross. Can I just get, and I know we're not an amen church, but can I get an amen on that one? I deserve, Jesus deserves an amen on that one, really. He died on the cross so that we would receive his spirit permanently and be sealed. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 makes it clear. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were what? Sealed. You were sealed. Will he take your spirit? Now, Jeff, if you preach that, people are going to go out and go crazy. They're going to lose their mind. They're going to jump out of their car and beat up that frail guy behind them. They're, that's what they're going to do. If you, if you preach that, it's the message of grace. You are saved by grace through 
faith and not of works, lest any man go around bragging about it. So you need to know as we read this story, don't, don't listen to anybody who say, well, be careful. Unless you give into this building fund we may have coming up, the Holy Spirit may, the, the Lord may take his Holy Spirit away from you and then quote this very passage. Just say, well, I'm not going to listen to that nonsense. I'm sealed. I'm sealed because of my faith. Is that great confidence? That's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm so glad. I stayed in the car. All right, now, are you ready? Verse, let's go to verse 15. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is skillful player of the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Now, there's a lot packed in here. We could, do, we could just unpack this in unbelievable ways. But can I just tell you what I find fascinating? He said, let them seek a man. And then somebody a little bit later says, behold, I have seen a man like that. Look, let me tell you something. God sees what you do for the kingdom, whether you're anonymous or not. God sees what you do. You get up early, you spend time in prayer. Jesus said it. Go into your closet where nobody sees you. And your heavenly Father will reward you when you pray. If you're trying to do everything so everybody sees it, it's kind of hard for me now. It feels like a lot of the stuff I do, people see what I do. But can I tell you, there were many, many, many years that nobody saw what I did. Nobody saw what I did, but I believe because I went back to this story and I said, look, if I'll get my heart right, God is no respecter of persons. He can use anybody, even a pathetic, old, broken down guy like me. He can use me on any, in any way, and you've got to believe that. See, he says, go seek a man. Little did he know. I mean, imagine, this is an amazing story, by the way. I mean, this is just a remarkable story. Saul's now being terrorized. Go seek a man, and guess who they find? They very, find the very guy that's already been anointed by God to take his place. You think Saul knew that? Absolutely not. God is orchestrating things upstream from your life that you cannot even understand. And when people bail and they give up, they give up on a marriage, they give up on a church, they give up on a relationship, they give up on their finances, and then they steal. They give up, they give up, they give up. They just, at the end of the day, they just don't have faith that God is working upstream in your life. See, most, most people who are walking around the world, they think they've got to make it happen. You know, you just got to make it happen. You want anything to happen, you know, nice in your life? You just got to make it happen. Can I tell you? In the, in the economy of God, God, let God make it happen because he knows the time and the season in your life when you're ready for it. We always think we're ready. We always think we're ready. Very often we're not ready and then we step into something and then it blows up in our face and we say, where's God? And God says, well, I didn't put you there. You put yourself there. Be cautious. Be cautious. Let them seek a man who is skillful on the harp. What was David also doing? David had a talent. You know, Proverbs 18, verse 16, it says, A man's gift brings him before great men. I tell my girls that all the time. 
I told Tess that even this week. She had a little, she had a little thing. She's making her dolls. She puts handcrafted dolls that she does, and she sold a bunch of them. She's got a lot more money than I do, and she's only 12. But she just got all this stuff. She's working all this stuff, and some of our other kids were there as well, and, and the McConnell family and all this. I said, look, if you work hard and you have a skill that you've done and you've excelled in that, it'll bring you before great people. I, trust me that this will happen. Be excellent in what you do. See, if David had gone out there and just kind of played around and complained all the time because he was the youngest and he had to watch the sheep and nobody noticed him and he was just completely, then but what's going to happen? God's got, God, well, you're just going to stay in the wilderness until you understand how to be contrite and that I'm the one who moves people at the proper time. Do you remember last week where Samuel comes? Could David have ever even imagined? He said, don't even sit down until we get this son of yours in here. Some of the most important people in your life, people that will have an impact on your life, may be right around the corner. But if you're just complaining or manipulating or like Saul and always trying to, you know, get yourself into that position, it'll never happen. It will never happen. God won't allow it to happen. Or if he does, you'll get in there and it'll blow up. If it's a kingdom thing. If it's a kingdom thing. Now, this is powerful. I, I, you know, just the, the fact that Saul says, well, bring him to me. I mean, that just blows my mind. That really is unbelievable to me that the very guy that's already been anointed now, now Saul, God's orchestrated situation upstream where Saul's fallen right in. And if God had not terrorized him with a the spirit, then guess what? He wouldn't have looked for a harpist. And if there had been no harpist out there practicing in excellence out on the side with all the sheep, then what? Then there would be nobody to allay his, uh, the spirit and, and, and make him feel well. And if there had been no David, then there eventually would have been no kingdom established in David's name. And there would be no Davidic covenant in Jesus. And I wouldn't have the confidence now that Jesus came through the line of David some thousands of years later. I mean, just the way that God is working things, you have to trust him. He is sovereign. He knows that you're sick. He knows that you're knee hurts. He knows that, you know, that your kids don't know Jesus. He knows that your grandkids don't know the Lord. He knows that you've got a financial issue. He knows all that. What he's looking for is your heart of faith. Total reliance upon him. Total. It's liberating. It is liberating. Nobody notices me. Liberating. They didn't notice David either until the time was right. And then they noticed him. And it happened so fast, David, David's head, I think, had to be spinning. It says, then one of the young men said, behold, I have seen. Look, somebody sees you. Somebody sees you. You may feel obscure. You may feel like nobody notices me. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I'm out in the wilderness. Let me tell you something. People see you. I can tell you right now, I, I, I see a lot. And I, I don't see like God sees when we get a picture of God, we see all these eyes, you know, when some of these kind of the, 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 the visions that some of these prophets see. God sees all the way around, 360-degree view. He sees 24-7. He knows every hair on your head. He sees everything. But even we see a lot. I'm, I'm constantly, what are the qualities you look for if you're building a team? You're looking for humility and contrition, people who are faithful, willing to serve, all those kinds of things. I, I don't care if you're building a business, building a church, or just you want to have some friends. Look for some faithful, humble friends. It's amazing. People are watching all the time. And that's what we see here. Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, 
who is skillful musician, a mighty man of valor. Notice what they're seeing here. Who, is, who are these guys? How do they know? This is six miles away. What's going on here? He's a warrior. He's prudent in speech. He didn't just say everything that comes into his mind. He is a filter. He's learned to be wise and not just spew things out because they're in his heart. He has integrity, and yet in his heart, but even all of us, even then, sometimes we say things we wish we could take back. He, he was prudent in his speech. These are things that have, were developed in David in complete obscurity. These are the qualities of the heart. This is what the Lord was looking for. He was a handsome man, and guess what? This guy said, and the Lord is with him. Oh, that that, that would be said about me. The Lord is with him. Do people say that about you? Man, I pray that that's what's said about me. One day at the end of this life, I'm not going to care. Who cares about golf tournaments or this or that or how much money I have in the bank? Who cares that it would be said the Lord was with her? The Lord was with her. What a profound thing to be said about you upon your exit from this life and into the next. The Lord was with her. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the flock. Now remember this. Saul now knows who Jesse is, knows that they live in Bethlehem, has this interaction. Just remember that. It becomes quite, quite distinct a little bit later. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him, loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. I mean, you just could this is this is a Shakespearean play here, isn't it? I mean, the very guy that's been anointed to take his place, and the only thing the only relief Saul's gonna get is gonna be from this young guy out in the middle of nowhere that just happens to get there through this great series of events that were seemingly just kind of kind of coincidental. No, it wasn't. It was all planned by the heavenly father, your heavenly father will plant. See, when I come, if you read this and you just think, well, it's way back when, and that's what happened to King David, and he was a really important character. If you don't think this can apply to your life, you're missing the whole point of it. This is what God wants to do in our lives. He will do this in your life. He will see you. He will, uh, you may not be a king, but he'll move you into something that will be so glorious. You'll ne- you could have never imagined yourself walking in that level of intimacy with the Lord and accomplishing certain things in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God right here on earth. You could never have imagined what God's plans are for you. And the Bible says it. They're above and beyond what you could even think or imagine. I got to tell you, as a as a golf pro and a guy who's always trying to make you know make a buck and playing for a while and and doing all that and always looking at the great players and all this, it just it boggled my mind. I actually had this thought: Here's a guy, you know, Rudy's here this morning. Thank you for flying me back, Rudy. I was over at the Phoenix Open. It's got, they're like going to hit. They're going to reach seven hundred plus thousand people this week. It's crazy. Woodstock was four hundred thousand. Isn't that nuts? It's the most popular golf tournament on the planet. All the great names and players. And I think about it, and I, and I always thought, well, you know, one day maybe I could be, you know, in a field like that. And I played in some fields like that. But I've got to be honest with you, I was never, a, never that guy. Never, ever. 
whether I wasn't good enough or whether I was a mental case or all that, you can, you can put your bets down or whatever. That's fine, but I just wasn't. But you know what? Even beyond what I could think or imagine, just being there and now going and doing outreaches and seeing people come to Christ and seeing, you know, 1,500 people or so up there, and I get to be Oprah Winfrey up there and, and interview all Ryder Cup captains and become friends with all these people and do all this during the Phoenix Open and then get, you know, my, our, private little, our private little jet to our private little plane to bring us back and look down at look Interstate 10 and say suckers and fly right over them, you know. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, you know, I never imagined that. That's way beyond. You know, when I started and I'd read this stories, Lord, maybe, maybe one day I could lead someone to Christ. And that seemed like more than, just, more than I could ever imagine. Imagine what's going on now. And I just couldn't. It was just... It tr- God is so faithful above and beyond what you can ever think or imagine. Above and beyond. Saul sent to Jesse, verse 22, saying, Well, let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Now, I'll tell you, the world's favor is fickle. He will find favor in Saul's eyes, but you'll see very shortly he will lose Saul's favor. And not only lose it, Saul's going to be after him for his life. So the favor of the world may seem really incredible, right? If I could just get in the good graces or meet that guy, he could change my career, blah, blah, blah. Look, let me tell you something. You want to live for an audience of one because the Lord's favor is consistent and unchanging. Listen to Isaiah 66, verse 2. These are the ones I look on with favor, the humble, the contrite, those who tremble at my word. Look, the only favor that's going to last, and it's even beyond this life, but will be always consistent in your life, not even your spouse's favor. I come to some degree in and out of the favor of my wife, to some degree. I mean, that's true. I mean, she loves me and she puts up with me and different things like that. But to some degree, she's kind of, I really have her favor. And other days, I might not have as much favor. But the Lord, I have his favor, humble, contrite, trembling at his word. Lord, that I come to your word and I said, these are words of life. These are, these are eternal words. These are transcendent. Not all the nonsense that goes on in our culture today and everything falling apart. Lord, these are your words. Oh, Lord, I, I care about what you say about reality. I want to live according to what you say about reality. I want to understand your thoughts and your ways. I tremble at your word. You say, well, how do you, how do you know if you tremble at your word? How, how much time did you spend in his word this week? You'll know whether or not you tremble at his word. I mean, I'm not doing that to point a finger. I mean, I love you. I want to see you explode in your spiritual life. I want to see you have the abundant life that Jesus talked about. How much time did you spend in your word this week? That'll tell you whether or not you tremble at his word. Look, when I look at this and, and I say, it, it, listen, he found favor. I don't want the fickle favor of the world. I don't want thumbs up on Facebook or whatever those are or likes or any of that. I don't care about any of that. I just at the end of the day, I want God to go, that's my son. If I have that, I've lived my life well. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's the favor you want. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well 
and the evil spirit would depart from him. I'll just say this quick word. We could, we'll do more teaching on this in, in days to come. Worship just changes the atmosphere. See, David was worshiping. David was a worshiper. Most of the, at least half the Psalms are written by King David. Many of them, while he was running in stark terror from Saul, not terror maybe, but running from Saul, being out in the wilderness with the sheep and all these different places, worship changes the atmosphere. People all the time say, well, you know, I, don't like, I just want to go for the good stuff. I don't want to go in all those songs. You know, I don't like those songs or this song. Look, you can, be, you can be worshipful with any kind of song you listen to if you just open your heart to God. I, I, I'm not particularly fond of the hymns. I like them. Okay, I'll just admit, I like them. I, I like to listen to the hymns. I can be worshipful in the hymns. I really can. They can move me in very profound ways. Some of you say, I only like hymns. Some of you like a rock music, and it, you feel so worshipful. It doesn't matter what the worship is, but are you a worshiper? If it changes the atmosphere and it changes the tenor of your heart, it's good. It brings you into the presence of God, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. More will be said later about worship. Okay, now we get to the issue. This is the issue. We're not going to get all the way through this today, but I want to tell you, Goliath is a big deal. No pun intended. Actually, pun intended. Goliath is a massive thing. This is going to be a high for David. There's so much packed into the story that I don't want to rush through it. Because David, understanding the times and the seasons of his life, Saul, not understanding the times and the seasons, you see such a drastic comparison here. And so when you look at this Goliath, it, it, we, of course, can apply this to the Goliaths of our life. We're going to learn, you will learn from this, you will learn something very significant, maybe even about a Goliath that you're confronting. Look, we all have Goliaths in our life, we, every one of us. Every one of us has a Goliath in our life. Maybe an addiction. It may be, you know, gosh knows what is out there. It may be a relational problem so deep and so profound that you just, this will never happen. This is going to make us stand up and cheer. This is an extraordinary account of how God operates and how people should respond to God's operation in their life. So when he says, 17. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Ezekah, and, they, and which is in Ephah, Stamim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. Now, remember, would you want to go into battle like Saul was, tormented, terrorized, doesn't even know if he has a connection to God at all? Would you really want to go into a battle alone? Would you? Saul did, and it was always a precarious situation ever going into battle without God's direction. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. Get the picture. Large valley. You've got a little mountain over here. and You've got to let them. This, this is this whole valley of Elah. And this is where this battle is going to take place. But so you've got two of these, the Philistines and the Israelites. I still can't imagine. I still watch these Braveheart movies and things where they go in and it's hand-to-hand combat. And you just go, would I have the courage to, to charge into battle, or would I be the guy on the back going, just trying to dodge everything and wait till you know most of the people die, and then kind of jump in there and knock some guy over the head that's already on the ground? I mean, I don't know. 
I mean, I think every man, is it not true, man, when you watch something like Braveheart or you think about, you know, maybe some of you even were on that, you know, some of these World War II veterans and, you know, D-Day and all that. Would you have been the guy shrinking back or would you be the guy charging knowing that you were going to take the first bullets? I don't know. I mean, I prayed to God that I would be courageous, that I would be a man of great valor. Th- these are amazing. Every time I think about this, I really try to get a picture of what this battle would look like. People were like, look, we're going to die today or we're going to live. I don't know what's going to happen. It's amazing to me. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now catch this verse 4. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. They say that's about nine feet, nine inches. Can you imagine Can you imagine? He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 125 pounds. Just to keep anything that might come, spears, arrows, something, something to protect his, his vitals here. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I don't know what a weaver's beam, but it sounds big to me. And the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. It's about 25, 15 to 20 pounds, just the, the head of the spear. His shield carrier also walked before him. Not only that, He's got this massive shield that was probably almost as large as him. He's got the poor shield carrier, and all that guy does is just walk out in front of Goliath. Now, that may not seem very imposing today with F-16s and all that other stuff that we send in, and we do aerial bombs and things like that, but back then, that was a big, big deal. And listen, he says, he, walked, he stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out and draw up in battle, Ray? Am, he goes, am I not, not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, this is what was called representative warfare. This happened in the Middle East at, at various points in history. Say, look, we'll take our best, you take your best, whoever wins that group wins rather than, you know, slaughter, slaughter, slaughter. Whoever does and the other one will submit to the other one based on this representative warfare, and that's what he's trying to do. Well, they had a winner. Of course they're going to do that. Now, who do you think should have been Israel's man? Who was it that stood a head taller than everybody else among the Israelites? King Saul. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, they shouted from the top of their lungs and rushed upon Goliath. No, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So this is the response. See, what the Lord, this, this, the reason this story is so powerful is that every day we're confronted with these things, aren't we? We're arrayed against it. It's on the other side. It may be you for your kids or your family or something or, the fi- you know, whatever. Like I said, there's just a million different things or a health issue. And it just is so overwhelming, you don't even know how to operate. And you start to lose your bearings. You can get dizzy. It's just like I'm so overcome. Or you can go back and you can tremble at his word and you can, you can say, I'm going to read 
this story every time I've got something in front of me that seems too overwhelming. And Lord, speak to me over and over and over. Lord, do not let me be dismayed and greatly afraid. Do, Father, do not let me be terrified. Now, David was the son of an Ephraimite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of these three sons who went to battle were Eliab, uh, the firstborn, and then the son, Abinadab, and then the third, Shammah, and David was the youngest. Now, the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening. Most people don't know this. Forty days. This didn't just happen like a day. Hey, I'm, I'm, the, I'm ready to kick your butt. Come on. Bring your best man. And then all of a sudden he, see you guys are, forty days. Forty days of trembling. Now, 40 is very significant in the scriptures, isn't it? Forty days in the wilderness. Forty years in the wilderness. You know, 40 is a place of great testing always in the Scripture. You see it over and over and over again. 40 as a, as a Jewish number is a representative number of something beyond kind of our Western mentality. Is it 39 or is it 42? Which one is it? I don't know. It's got to be exactly 40 and we get, you know, all of our scientific mind. 40 represented something. 40 days he was there testing them over and over and over again. Now, <clears throat> I this gets good. David still, remember we said David was anointed. Then all of a sudden he gets thrown into king's palace and then back and still with the sheep. See, we think, ah, I got I to gotta get this position. and uh, No, no, no. Back and forth with the sheep, not with the sheep. With the sheep, not with the sheep. Cycles, cycles. But what, did that bother David? No. It's a, it goes on, it says, David was the youngest, now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock. The Philistine came forward 40 days. Now, verse 17, then Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these 10 loaves and run to the camp of your brothers. Bring also these 10 cubits of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now, I've just got to tell you, have you ever wondered in this part of the story where David's like, boy, you go, am I a cheese carrier now? Is that what I am? Did you not see the prophet Samuel? Did you not see the man come and anoint me above all my brothers? And what am I going to do now? Run back and forth with the sheep? Carry all this cheese. Do you see this? I mean, don't you wonder if David is like, wait a minute, Dad. I'm the one that's been anointed to be king of Israel. Last thing I'm going to do is go out there and park cars or set up signs or be here early to, you know, set the stage up or, or pour the coffee or be here a little bit late or or last, last thing I'm going to do. You know, I've been going to church for 30 years. The last thing I'm going to do is going to go out there and serve. Who, what are you talking about? I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to do that, in fact. See, there was something different in David, wasn't it? David was faithful. The very next verse, so David arose early in the morning. He didn't complain. He didn't say, I'm the last thing I'm going to do. He didn't complain that his brothers got to be at the battle line and not him. So David arose early in the morning, left the flock with a keeper, and took the supplies and went as Jeff, Jesse had commanded him. Now, we're going to finish here this morning, but I just want to catch this last thing. It's going to get good next week. Don't you miss it. 
Live streamers, you come back. Now, let, left the flock with a keeper, that's, that jumps out to me. He still cared about the sheep. He had big things going on, but he didn't just leave the sheep. He found a keeper to take care of the sheep. This is, that, that, that speaks to me. He still cares about the sheep, the little sheep. That a pastor's heart. He took the supplies and he went as his dad commanded him. He was still saw himself as a man under authority. Even though anointed, even the vision for his life was so profound. And yet, see, do you see what I'm saying? I, this is not just David's a good guy, other guys are bad guys. No, no, no. This is what God was seeing in his heart when he looked at him. Even though he was short and the youngest. Now, back then, the old, the old your age and where you were born and the birth order was huge. We may not understand that as much today. Back then, it was a big, big deal. He was the youngest. He was not too large, but boy, did God, God didn't look at any of that. Do you think God looks at the color of your skin? Do you think he cares whether or not you're at, you know, some big fancy club or whether you're at uh, the mission over here? Do you think he cares? Do you think God, no, God doesn't look as man looks. He looks upon the heart. He look, he's looking for those who tremble at his word. That's who God's looking for. And that's what we're going to see next week as we see this unpack. David is going to walk into this. I know you know the story, but I think there are going to be some things that are going to be pulled out of this story next week that are just going to absolutely set many of you free and give you such great encouragement. You cannot, it'll, you cannot believe. And I pray, as the Bible says this, it's pretty clear. What does it say? Well, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, these stories that they walked out, that Israel walked out, were for our benefit. That's what we looked at last week, right? 1 Corinthians 10. All these things happened to them for our benefit, as an example to us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. When we go back to these stories, we go, this is how God operates with people? Oh, wow. He's not a respecter of person. He looks at the heart. It's not networking. It's not who you know. It's not who, who's who was born to who and who has the great lineage and who has the greatest, you know, degrees and all this other kind of thing. It's not who has all the connections. It's not that, really. Wow, that's encouraging to me because I've got none of that. Wow, this is incredible. God operates this way and it'll build your faith and it'll give you confidence. And even when you are in the valley, when you're overlooked, when you're obscure, when nobody knows who you are, you're going to be dancing around the parking lot, even if you're setting up a sign or you're doing something or whatever you're doing. If you're down serving the poor, if you're, if you're, whatever it is, you're going to be doing it with such a step in. It'd be unbelievable. Why? Because you're going to be thinking, God is no respecter of persons. As he treated David, so will he treat me. Lord, how is my heart? Will you tremble at his word this week? That's church. If we become a church who trembles at his word there's no telling what god will do with church at the red door not because we're special just because we tremble at his word do you receive that today in humility let's pray father i thank you for today your word your word is truth jesus is truth it's not some speculative ancient religion that has a bunch of little codes of ethics and morals. That's what the Bible is about. It's a story of a God and his creation. 
and how we're to operate under his power. Lord, I, I pray this morning, if there's just even one person here who's never said, for some, I, I didn't believe in Jesus when I came in here, but now I believe in Jesus. Lord, you'll see that and you'll, you'll bring all the assets up to heaven. Trust in Jesus. Say just, Lord, I forgive, forgive me of my sins. I choose to follow you. Then maybe you'll be up here in one of these baptismal pictures one of these days. Lord, it's simple, and yet it's, it wasn't simple for you. It cost you your life. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for this community. I'm thankful that you put us in a very difficult place, the Coachella Valley, where it seems like nobody's really interested very few are really interested in what Jesus had to say. Where it's not cool, it's not politically correct, it's not, it doesn't seem vibrant, it seems dull and old, and all the different stereotypes. I'm thankful that you put us in a dark spiritual place. Because, Father, when, when it's dark, when your light is lit, it just, boy, it just explodes. Father, I'm praying that this valley, that there be a revival in this valley and that people come to know you. Pray for all the churches. I pray for the new pastor Ricky, over at Southwest, great teacher of the word. Lord, I pray that they'll explode. I pray that Southwest will do great things. Garden Fellowship, Palm Desert Presbyterian, all Shadow Rock, all Cornerstone, all the other churches, JV. Lord, we pray that every church finds their niche and their calling and that you see them and they, that many come to Christ. Father, we love you. We want to follow you in Jesus' name.